0: Hello, Charlie Clamos here, this is Echo Radio, the audio outgrowth of European Echo, which has so far mostly been covering art, architecture and culture, though will invariably branch out as things progress. This is the first in a series in association with Fanfara, the design studio comprising Freya Kier and Lotta van der Hoef, in which I'll be talking to the people who Fanfara are exhibiting and collaborating with in the coming months, in a fairly unstructured and informal conversational format. This time, I'll be talking to Boyana Panevska, who works at Trans Artists, the Information Centre for Visual Artists, artists from Initiatives and Cultural Institutions, and who is editor of the associated magazine Station to Station. Station to Station is a magazine that features research and reflections in both text and audio on the art world and art practice. And this conversation has been timed in advance of the launch of Station to Station's second issue at Fanfara. In this episode, we mostly hover around conceptions of value, things that go unmentioned in art, whether artists can be independent, and the ever-obvious question of what even constitutes an artist.
1: So the idea with the first issue was primarily to kind of map the general financial situation in art, or how do people find funding, how do they survive? But uh, we really it was very difficult to come to that part of how to make money. We were mostly talking about how to survive, which I think it's also, it's a bit different than making money and surviving with like a mini-mini budget that you have to work with. Well, now the second issue is uh, about art that is created in artists in residency places, but also it can be created more more generally in a different kind of place around the world. And the idea with this issue and kind of how how do they connect with the other, of course, the main threat would be the artists in residency Mm -hmm. places. But the important thing for this issue is what we notice: there is a lot of artworks created in a residency or started in a residency that kind of cease to exist once the artist leaves that place. And that, of course, primarily is because of the money or because you cannot transport that artwork or because uh, you don't have any more time once you're back from the residency, how to to develop it so I thought or we thought it's important to touch upon this topic it's kind of a topic that nobody wants to openly talk about but uh, sometimes it's like if it's a very big installation can cost you a lot of money to ship it back to your place of origin so then of course it's about making the decision do you need do you have to take it can you afford to take it and things like that
0: Do you think this affects the way that the artists behave during the residency in terms of uh, making something that can be transported after the process?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's very difficult to generalize it because I believe every artist works very differently. And so, I mean, if artists start with this idea that I'm just there to produce something... If you make art for uh, satisfying the funding guidelines or satisfying the organizers, then you better just be an accountant or something. The value of this artwork, for me as a viewer, it's becoming less and less.
0: I really want to talk about the idea of the taboo of talking about certain things in art, what you're sacrificing through being an artist, what it's going to take for people to start talking about their conditions. Is it a case of just talking to a lot of people and publishing it? Uh, Do artists have to unionise? It must have crossed your mind, collectivising the artistic practice. I guess it sounds a bit Soviet. I guess that was okay in some ways, but obviously problematic in terms of censorship.
1: But I mean, there is nothing wrong with socialism. But do you think it's so different in the Western society?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I remember a teacher who used to work at the BBC telling me that when you went to the board of censors, they would say to you, you should know what you can't say, and they wouldn't specify I think that's such a good way of describing how censorship works in the West. It's a bit like a residency I did last year where they didn't tell us what they wanted and, and would complain when they got something they didn't want.
1: Talking about censorship, it's, uh, as you said, we learned ourselves to self-censor. You know, if you overstep the line, that your work will not be exhibited or it will not be published. And, and that's a fact. And then the question is, how much do you, as an artist, what is more important for you? Is it your ideas and what you are trying to say and how you are trying to say it? Or is it more important to be represented in a certain gallery or in a certain biennial and so on? So I think as an artist, we have to make these kind of decisions. You can't have it Mm -hmm. all. You can't be a radical artist and showing in, I don't know, some big institutions... I think it's very, very difficult, unless uh, we are talking about, I don't know, for example, Malevich, who is long, long dead. But like, if we talk about contemporary artists, it's a personal opinion, of course, but I think it's very difficult to be an underground artist nowadays, and it's very difficult to bring that into a- another level of the art market. I would say a market, not scene, so much, because that's another problem that we have, is that we don't have art scene, We have art market. And then the whole criterias change.
0: And as soon as it becomes an art market, it can't possibly be underground. I mean, that is specifically, and it probably always has been, the point of the underground uh, to exist in opposition to the mainstream. And the mainstream is a market now. We are
1: all financialized. And I mean, things cannot stay underground forever. That's another fact. I mean, they are always, or somebody takes inspiration from them. Or like we can, if we talk about punk, for example, how it's transformed from being a movement then into selling accessories, this and that, to nowadays selling I don't know uh, t-shirts in H and M with the Ramones or something, which is uh, one thing that's also very different in those times uh, nowadays is also the social and political situation. So I think also when uh, people come to a point where they feel that there is really nothing else to lose or that what you have, you're going to gamble that for some higher expectations and higher hopes or how you believe life should be structured or society should be structured, is that then this kind of twist in your brain also comes you start thinking differently, and I believe that's the time when when people create artworks that are kind of that matter, that are important, because you are totally independent from uh, earning money with it, from uh, getting a good name in the art scene. You know what's going on, you see what's going on, you know everything is going down the drain, so like, you have nothing to lose, and then you're totally, totally free to do whatever you want to do. And that's also could be added towards the funding idea as well. It's it's great to have funding, to have money to create art projects, but it's the question also comes is how do you use that? How much do you use of that money that you got? And how does that affect you in your way of thinking? Maybe some people are quite good in getting money and still being independent, but... Uh, this idea of artists being in a studio and creating artwork is uh, long gone now the artist needs to be a businessman to be able to to survive in in this uh, climate
0: why is that is it because there's now more artists that it's no longer this close-off scene that only exists in London or New York?
1: That's one thing, I, I believe. I mean, there is a tremendous amount of artists, really. Tr- just when you go to art academies, talk- and we can talk only about Holland, I think, every year around thousands. That's like every year. And there, I read somewhere, and I know how correct this statistic is, but it says that from all these people, that only 10%, even if 10%, continue to work... As artists, while well, all the rest end up in many different uh, uh, positions.
0: Yeah, when I was looking up the contributors for the next, for your next station to station issue, which is obviously about to be released, I was looking at something from uh, Fucking Good Art, the uh, partnership between Rob Hammelink and Ninka Terpsma. It was their Swiss issue, and um, it was saying that there's about. 5 to 6% of artists for whom the industry is actually profitable. And I was thinking about how that basically mimics the concentration of wealth everywhere else, uh, in, in sport and uh, academia and finance. And, uh, and you say everybody has to be a businessman now, but art worked in the 70s because there was better income distribution across the scale. And that that sounds like a really good way of doing things in contrast to how it is now.
1: It might sound awful and painful, but uh, part of reality is, how can you pinpoint a value to an artwork? Who is the one who decides how much an artwork works in money? So that's already that's already part of a market that has nothing much to do with the artist or the artwork itself at all. And then there is this other thing, which is the painful truth. To be a famous artist doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be a good artist. <laughs> Talking about the market and the way things are approached. And that's why when I say that it is expected from artists to be businessmen, that comes from, from the fact that most of the time artists nowadays spend time in selling themselves And a lot of artists that I know have like 50 concepts or ideas of artworks in their drawer, which will never get made, never, because they are just keep on chasing fundings and selling this idea and this idea. So a lot of artists spend time on that rather than creating an artwork.
0: I was watching um, a BBC documentary from, I think, 2009 or 10, Uh, It's following the goldsmiths mfa program um it's called uh, goldsmiths but is it art it's a good name uh, it's on youtube and um it was speaking to one of the teachers and he basically said the people who get to sell their work are the most sociable people it's not necessarily much about the quality of the work uh, although that is obviously important and I guess this kind of thing, like it returns to the slightly basic question of uh, what is art? I mean, is it just a case of sociability and business sense? And Of course, I mean, the main problem isn't really much of a problem at all. It's that having been brought up by baby boomers and having so many more opportunities in terms of education, people are much more aware of the idea and possibility of doing what they really love. And, and so there's a lot more people doing this kind of thing
1: but maybe that's also why we as generation are going to be one the first generation after second world war that's going to be worse off than our parents (laughs) i mean for definitely it has to do with the economy nowadays but it also has to do with this idea that we've been taught i mean a lot of from our generation let's say or plus minus some years, is that, yes, you can become whatever you want. The world is your oyster. Yes, yes, do this. Sure, you can be a poet. And it is true, yes, you can be, but then nobody talks about all the sacrifices that you need to do. like I mean, I finished Art Academy. My parents were already from scratch, were telling me, yeah, great, great what you're doing. But think about what you will do after your art mm-hmm. academy, because surviving as an artist—I mm-hmm. don't know what, how much you can just—and sur- they were totally right. But I never thought about it until I graduated from art academy. Because also, when you are in an art academy, it's nice to be in in a bubble and to avoid thinking about reality. In U.S., the situation is quite different. In U.S., they are quite well equipped. Or they have a lot of lessons as part of the curriculum in terms of how do you write a nice, good artistic statement. For example, how do you set up your portfolio or all these practical things that we in Europe do not necessarily have. I, I mean, I graduated from an art academy 10 years ago and it's, it's so scary when I say that 10 years ago. And my time when I was studying, there was no such thing. It was like, uh, you're an artist, it's great, you're going to be in your studio, do your work. Nobody does that. I mean, rarely. For everybody, somebody's working in social services, somebody, it's like people are having less and less time to create art because of finding ways to, to survive
0: just to uh, flip the page a little bit now um, another thing I wanted to talk about because obviously you're representing this huge international artist resource I was, um, I was wondering if you knew how artists in, in different countries respond to their funding situation particularly in places where there really is just no funding at all
1: well I, I mean the show must go on regardless of uh, money or not I, I myself I'm coming from the Balkans And uh, so talking about, let's say, places with no funding, that would be Eastern Europe. (laughs) I mean, there is simply not. uh, Even if there is amount of money, like what is happening now in Macedonia, and even if there is money for art that's used for art with very, very nationalistic connotation, nothing else. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there is... On some level, there is difference, but on another level, there isn't much difference if we talk about whether there is money and whether there is funding. Of course, the most obvious difference is in uh, amount of produced art and amount of artists in a certain country that you have, like, where there is funding, of course, there is more more artists and more artworks produced where there isn't as much funding or not any then uh, that doesn't necessarily mean there isn't as much artworks, but it also means there isn't much places where you can show this.
0: uh... So it's not just the artists, it's the uh, spaces. It's not on show as much.
1: It all goes hand in hand. I mean, uh, for example, in Portugal, you know already, for a couple of years ago, they don't even have a ministry of culture anymore, has been abolished. Because I mean, when situation, where the economical situation is bad, this is one of the first cuts the money is in art whether that is right or wrong decision, we can go into that, into a lot of details and debating. But that is that is the first place where uh, the budget is cut is, uh, is art. And that, yeah, it, it brings, I think it brings a totally different way, different approach towards art. For example, in Russia or in the Balkans or some artists that I know that are coming from the African continent, a lot of them work with uh, found Materials, garbage, used materials, because that's uh, what it's available to them, or that's why you don't uh, you don't need to invest much uh, money in this kind of uh, materials. But uh, that doesn't mean that the artwork that it's produced in terms of criteria it's worse than an artwork that it's produced from uh, I don't know platinum made uh, bought from scratch and made into a or like for example. Maurizio Catalan. his latest work, or the one, one of the latest, is uh, making a golden uh, toilet, which is uh, open to, for use for the visitors of the museum. So then can we have, say that this toilet has more value than a toilet made out of garbage? And of course, yes, it does, not only because it's made from gold, but because it's in Guggenheim.
0: (laughs) This is a really good example of the division of value in art, because really it's the pinnacle of the idea of the fetishized commodity. You know, that you invest all this mystical value into something that isn't necessarily expensive to make, except maybe in terms of man hours. And it doesn't really have any use value. With this object, it's like impossible to measure the exact value of the artwork unless it's measured in relation to other things like like if this golden toilet got lost in transit i don't know it, it fell out of a plane for instance and uh, landed somewhere where no one knew what the guggenheim was uh, it would be probably melted down and sold for scrap and and then you could work out the value in a very pure sense but until that happens it it does have this huge mystical value which uh, you can recreate depending on your pedigree as an artist, with garbage, as you say. And this is where the social aspect works, because as an artist who is social, you are putting value into the object.
1: It's You're not the one who decides that value. The market decides it for you, or the, the circumstances. You can't put the value like, I value this installation that I just created in... 5 million euros, you
0: know? So in that sense, really, the value of art is determined by society, and and the fact that there's such a disparity between different pieces of art is because value is actually determined by its usefulness to someone who wants to store their money, like a flat in London...
1: Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's an investment and it's a great way for uh, money laundering. I mean, uh,
0: which makes me think and is probably quite a trite thing to say, but I'll say it anyway. Money is really the big problem in art.
1: When there is no money, when there is no funding, there also there is no pressure to work with certain hot topics or uh, certain ways of presentation because you're not depending on any external uh, Museums or uh, organizations or anything like that. That also means that, in terms of how you create art, is your own. You make your own uh, way, your own approach, because you're anyway there's no one to sell it. So then you are you are just uh, totally free to do. But then comes the question: Do you want to present that artwork in uh, borders that are out of your own? Well, locality do you want to take it out
0: no yeah yeah i I think there's a widespread creativity among normal people there are just creative people and a lot of them who aren't thinking of themselves as artists because society hasn't called them artists or there's no social function or occupation that has constituted them as artists it's quite a bourgeois western concept as opposed to other societies where it's just bound up with what kind of life you lead in your spare time like people who obsessively collect things or have a real fixation with an idea i used to work with this lady whose dad used to paint cars uh, hot rods and they were really good designs and it looked great but neither of them were calling him an artist and if you put what they were doing in a different context people would have been like that's interesting. It's not that if there's not so much funding, there's less creativity, there's just less opportunity to call yourself an artist.
1: Yeah, also, yeah, totally agree with you.
0: So I think when we talk about there not being so many artists in certain places, it's like, well, creativity is a human condition, so...
1: Which also brings us to this idea that uh, while speaking for places where there isn't much funding, then what you call art and what you don't call art... Is different, but then with places where there is a lot of funding or a lot of certain kind of amount of funding then also this idea about artists can its also anything anybody's artist like whatever they do I'm an artist mm. which I'm not saying it doesn't have to be so
0: I think it is as I said quite a western bourgeois concept the idea that there is this profession that you can make a living from I mean it's good that it exists but it is troublesome in a lot of ways Echo Radio was brought to you by European Echo. You can follow us by searching Echo Radio on the podcast app or liking European Echo on Facebook. The theme was "Cass" by Jim Clamos.